case my car goes off the highway or the plane that i get on decides that it's my last day i want you to know when you're alone and you feel afraid you're not the only person in the world that isn't okay there's millions of us just like you like you like you just like you like you there's millions of us just like you like you like you just like you like you it's strange the way the mind can wander But also stop the gossip And chat with memories that you and me aren't really fond of Maybe you're out to find love Maybe you lost who you was Maybe you're just like me and feel the need to stay in your rut Cause if you left it, you might feel like you're no longer you It's so impressive the way the mind can play with the truth It's interesting that nobody can walk in your shoes But still relate and feel the same So in a way, guess we do you ever think about what it would be like if the clouds were gone and you could see light? If the door was open, would you take flight? Or just close the curtains up and stay inside? Take a walk with me, take a risk with me. I'm scared too, and it gets so tempting when you're so empty to disown everything you hold. Dealing when you know clearly you've been so buried in your own fairy tale. The soul's tearing, but your holes in me, I relate to it. But in case you've been thinking no one does, here's a great theory. Throw a Hail Mary, let your mind fly to the sunrise. Could be so scary, make your faith very feel the pain glaring. But the weight carried ain't in vain. Hear me, hear me. Just in case my car goes off the highway. Or the plane that I get on decides that it's my last day I want you to know when you're alone and you feel afraid You're not the only person in the world that isn't okay There's millions of us just like you, like you, like you Just like you, like you There's millions of us just like you, like you, like you Just like you, like you so often I feel desperate, I think my heart's infected How about yours, how about yours, how about yours, I guess it You feel the best when your life is hectic You might be destined to stay defective So join the club, it ain't that hard to get in It's hard to leave though, look at the guest list I bet that your name is on it, don't believe me, check it See dead ends, in life we come to tend to raise some questions Suggestion, know that your feelings might give wrong directions Infested, yeah, with the feeling of failure let it take over your body, it makes you question the life that you have situations You might have enjoyed, become nothing but dated All and forgotten, but what would you say if I told you that there was some hope we could make it I know what you're thinking, I'm thinking it too Could you really improve and be something we're saving? See, I can pretend like I have all the answers, but none of us do It's the reason we battle, convincing yourself that you don't really matter Still feeding a cancer and letting it travel to every part of you But what if we did? Didn't think of pulling kids all our trips What's achievable depends on the risk So pick up your chin and listen to this
City. Wow, what a um, very fitting song to start our worship today. My name is Billy Janone, and I'm the communications director here. And I'm Anthony Janone, uh, Billy Janone's son, if that wasn't obvious already. <laughs> and Anthony usually does hosting time downstairs with the Kids Zone worship, but with it being Mother's Day, I am so excited that he is up here with me today as my teammate to be able to welcome all of you all. Now, we do have uh, a couple announcements. We do. Um, so, so, first of all, um, we have uh, May Nudge. Is, uh, mm -hmm. um, we got baby bottle blessings. Uh, so what? all you got to do with these is you got to take the baby bottle given to you by our greeters once you leave today. 
Um, and uh, any any kind of any kind of money you have, cash, change, check, so whatever, fill up this bottle with the, that money and uh, give it back to us uh, by Father's Day. By Father's Day. The nudges that Anthony is talking about is that beginning in 2022, we set a big goal for our church to reach 12,000 people to nudge them towards Christ by showing them God's love. And when you came in today, you should have seen a card on your chair, maybe the seat next to you. I want everybody to grab that real quick. And I want you to think about someone as I kind of go through this list. Maybe you know someone who has recently lost a mom. Maybe you know someone who's recently lost a child. Uh, maybe they have an estranged relationship with their child or with their mom, or maybe they're struggling to become a mom. While Mother's Day is a wonderful day for celebrating the amazing moms, it can also be very difficult for a lot of ladies. And so I want you to take this card and I want you to send it to the person that you just thought of because we want to be sure and encourage them and show them the comfort and love um, from their creator this month. Also coming up on Saturday, May 14th from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m., we have our Sportsman Ministry Range Day. The location will accommodate both pistols and long rifles, bring your ammo, bring your targets, while minors are welcome to come. They do be, need to be accompanied by an adult. If you want to come on out and join in on that fun, just be sure that you reach out to Vern Huber, our connections minister this week, to be sure that you get his, um, sorry, the address. And uh, um, on May 22nd, we have Graduate Sunday. So if you know a high schooler, or college student who is graduating soon, uh, talk to our student minister and uh, my friend, Ben Jeffries, back there. Um, by next Sunday, if you want to join in. And uh, with Mother's Day being today, I want to say Happy Mother's Day to all of the amazing moms out there. And one of the things that I'm most thankful for today is the legacy of faith that has transcended the generations of my family. From my granny to my mom, from my mom to me, from me and now to my kids, I am thankful that no matter what life throws at us, both the good and the bad, that we can trust in and have the comfort and be anchored in our creator God, that we have the hope uh, and the salvation through what Jesus has done for us. And so I'm going to ask you right now, please stand and join us in worshiping him. When darkness tries to roll over my bones When sorrow comes to steal the joy I own When brokenness and pain is all I know Oh, I won't be shaken No, I won't be shaken My Stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. Shame no longer has a place to hide. 
Spirit will be within each of us as we give you everything today, as we listen to your word and let it change us. Thank you for your incredible example of sacrifice in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let you guys have a seat. Why was Jesus of Nazareth crucified? Because he made outrageous claims about himself. He claimed to be the one and only Son of God. Why would anyone take his claim seriously? Well, that all depends. If Jesus actually rose from the dead, then his claim to be God's unique Son carries considerable weight. On the other hand, if the resurrection never actually happened, then Jesus may be safely dismissed as just another interesting but tragic historical figure. Did Jesus rise from the dead? As we explore this question, we need to address two further questions. What are the facts that require explanation? And which explanation best accounts for these facts? There are three main facts that need to be explained. The discovery of Jesus' empty tomb, the appearances of Jesus alive after his death, and the disciples' belief that Jesus rose from the dead. Let's examine each of these. Fact number one. The discovery that Jesus' tomb was empty is reported in no less than six independent sources, and some of these are among the earliest materials to be found in the New Testament. This is important because when an event is recorded by two or more unconnected sources, historians' confidence that the event actually happened increases, and the earlier these sources are dated, the higher their confidence. Moreover, the Gospels indicate that it was women who first discovered that Jesus' body was missing. This is likely historical because in that culture, a woman's testimony was considered next to worthless. A later legend or fabrication would have had men make this discovery. Our confidence in the empty tomb is further increased by the response of the Jewish authorities. When they heard the report that the tomb was found empty, they said that Jesus' followers had stolen his body, thereby admitting that Jesus' tomb was, in fact, empty. Most scholars, by far, hold firmly to the reliability of the biblical statements about the empty tomb. Fact number two, the appearances of Jesus alive after his death. In one of the earliest letters in the New Testament, Paul provides a list of witnesses to Jesus' resurrection appearances. He appeared to Peter, then to the Twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Finally, he appeared also to me. Furthermore, various resurrection appearances of Jesus are independently confirmed by the Gospel accounts. On the basis of Paul's testimony alone, virtually all historical scholars agree that various individuals and groups experienced appearances of Jesus alive after his death. It may be taken as historically certain that Peter and the disciples had experiences after Jesus' death in which Jesus appeared to them as the risen Christ. Fact number three, the disciples' belief in the resurrection. After Jesus' crucifixion, his followers were devastated 
demoralized and hiding in fear for their lives. As Jews, they had no concept of a Messiah who would be executed by his enemies, much less come back to life. The only resurrection Jews believed in was a universal event on Judgment Day after the end of the world, not an individual event within history. Moreover, in Jewish law, Jesus' crucifixion as a criminal meant that he was literally under God's curse. Yet somehow, despite all of this, the disciples suddenly and sincerely came to believe that God had raised Jesus from the dead. They were so completely convinced that, when threatened with death, not one of them recanted. Even the Pharisee Paul, who persecuted Christians, suddenly became a Christian himself, as did Jesus' skeptical younger brother, James. Some sort of powerful, transformative experience is required to generate the sort of movement earliest Christianity was. That is why, as an historian, I cannot explain the rise of early Christianity unless Jesus rose again, leaving an empty tomb behind him. These three firmly established facts cry out for an adequate explanation. How do you make sense of them? Down through history, various naturalistic explanations have been offered to explain away these facts. The conspiracy hypothesis, the apparent death hypothesis, the hallucination hypothesis, and so on. All of these have been nearly universally rejected by contemporary scholarship. The simple fact is that there is just no plausible naturalistic explanation of these three facts. The explanation given by the original eyewitnesses is that God raised Jesus from the dead. If it's even possible that God exists, then that explanation cannot be ruled out. For a God who is able to create the entire universe, the odd resurrection would be child's play. An empty tomb, Jesus' appearances alive after his death, and a group of dejected followers suddenly transformed by a radical new belief in a risen Messiah. These are independently established historical facts. How do you explain them? Let's pray together. Father, for your presence, we give you thanks. We know that you're going to nudge us this morning, and we pray that we will be receptive. And now may the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts please you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Hey guys, really glad you're here this morning. If you're joining us online, that is so cool. And I hope that this will be a, an experience of worship for you too. A lot of stuff happening, isn't it? Derby yesterday, I don't know how many of you guys come in poorer this morning or maybe a few of you extra rich, right? Around our country, all kinds of unrest over the abortion issue. What we're going to talk about this morning is way bigger than either of those. Mother's Day. If you are a mom or if you have a mom, we're glad you're here. It's most of you. What we're going to talk about is bigger than that. We've been in this series since January. Is there a God? Is Jesus the Son of God? 
We're wrapping it up this morning and next week. This is kind of where the rubber hits the road. And I'd kind of like you guys to think of yourselves this morning as a jury, which is kind of true. almost really are. And at the end of this trial, you're going to have to cast your vote. There's no abstaining. You're going to vote. But here's what's weird about this vote. How you vote will not determine what happens to him. How you vote will determine what happens to you, if Jesus was right. I'm going to try to lay out the evidence, some of the evidence, and you're going to have to make a call. It's kind of like we're putting Jesus on trial. And if there is a God, and if Jesus really is the Son of God, how you judge Jesus will dictate how God judges you. At least that's what Jesus claims. What if he's right? So here it is. Next few minutes, I'm going to talk about the most important thing in your life. I don't care who you are. You may be struggling at home. In fact, your family may be falling apart. This is more important. You may be in the middle of a financial crisis that is crushing you or struggling on your job. This is more important. You might be tired, hungry, sick, in love, grumpy, depressed. This is more important. You may be a devoted Christian, a struggling Christian. You may not be a Christian at all yet. What we're going to talk about for the next few minutes is still the most important thing in your life. Because bottom line, we will all have to make a decision about a person who leaves us with very few viable options. And if Jesus was right, it is the single most important decision in your life. What you do with him is most important. Now, I'm talking about the real Jesus, guys, not the fairy tale Jesus that a lot of guys talk about, the ones that they create who is safe. When you understand the real Jesus, you'll understand that you have to decide, is he an incredibly dangerous liar who is toying with your soul? Is he an absolute lunatic, a pitiable madman who actually thought he was God? Or is he God? Because that's who he thought he was. And Jesus made these claims that are so arrogant, demands that are so outrageous, and promises that are so wild that you simply cannot treat him with apathy or condescension. You simply cannot ignore him or like him. You either have to dismiss him as a lunatic, turn your back on him as a liar, or abandon yourself to him as your Lord and your God because there are no other reasonable options, guys. Now, we've been laying out this case for God since January. We've been focusing on the Jesus part since Easter. And I know some people will try to tell you that there was really no real Jesus at all in history. Maybe the whole thing is just a story, a myth, a legend, a fairy tale. <laughs> it won't hold. We talked about that last week. Evidence for a historical Jesus is overwhelming. And some people tell you that maybe there was a real Jesus, but maybe the real Jesus never actually claimed to be God. Maybe the real Jesus never really claimed to be the only way to God, the standard by which all truth is measured, the key to real life both in this world and in the next. Maybe the real Jesus was just a nice guy, great teacher, an inspiring man. But that's all. But guys, that won't hold either. We went through that. 
the kinds of things that Jesus claimed, the kind of promises that he made, the kind of things that he demanded of us, he was either the most sinister liar ever, the craziest lunatic ever, or he was God. As crazy as that sounds, that's exactly what he claimed to be. And what if he was right? Evidence is pretty clear, guys. That is who he claimed to be. And because of that, they killed him brutally. And then they buried him. They put him in this cave that they used as a tomb. And all of his followers were completely disillusioned. They were broken. And if Jesus had stayed dead, he was a liar. Or he was a lunatic. And we all need to turn our backs on him and walk away. Everything we're doing here this morning is a waste of our time and money. Right? But if Jesus is alive, then there is nothing more important in any of your lives, nothing more important than to bend your knees to Jesus. Because if Jesus is alive, then what he demands of us is true. What he said about himself is true. And the kind of promises that he made, you can take him to the bank. So, today we're going to look at the resurrection of Jesus, where the rubber hits the road. And it's kind of the final piece of this God-canceled series. This is why I'm a Christian today. Because I believe, as a historian and a scholar, that Jesus is alive. And I know that sounds crazy, but that's where the evidence points. Now let me start by saying this again. I cannot prove to you beyond any shadow of a doubt that Jesus rose from the dead. And you cannot prove to me that he didn't. But I can prove to you logically and historically that the resurrection of Jesus makes sense. In fact, far better sense than any other explanation for all of the evidence that we have. In the end, if you accept Jesus as Lord, it is going to take a leap of faith. But it's going to take a way bigger leap of faith to walk away when the evidence is this powerful. Now, We've got to start by leveling the playing field, right? Because a lot of people are tempted to cheat. A lot of guys are kind of like, how, how can you prove that God raised Jesus from the dead if you can't even prove that there's a God, right? Because if there's no God, there's no resurrection. And you're right, I can't prove to you that there's a God. You can't prove to me that there's not. But as we've seen over the last several months, there's more evidence for a God than against him. It's not even close. And if there is a God, if there is a God, guys, listen. If there is a God, then you have to admit the possibility of a resurrection. Don't you? I mean, God wouldn't be much of a God if he couldn't pull off a resurrection. If an eternal, transcendent, all-powerful God could pull off a creation, you'd have to admit that it'd be child's play to pull off a resurrection, wouldn't it? So we're going to level the playing field. There might be a God or not. Where's the evidence point? Like I said, we've been unpacking that since January. If you want to catch up, you can go to our website or our Facebook page or our YouTube page. And God might have raised Jesus from the dead or not. Where does the evidence point? And can you find a better explanation for that evidence? You see, guys, this is kind of the linchpin. This is the smoking gun, the coup de grace. 
the resurrection of Jesus is the incontrovertible evidence that there is a God and that Jesus is the Son of God. And as the guys in the video pointed out, I'm going to lay out three lines of evidence that God did raise Jesus from the dead. There is very strong physical evidence. There's very strong and credible eyewitness evidence. And there is rather overwhelming circumstantial evidence that God raised Jesus from the dead. So here it goes. We're going to start out with the physical evidence. Here it is. On Friday, they put his corpse into a tomb. On Sunday, the tomb was empty right? That really is not disputable. The tomb was empty. And it's simply not rational. It's not credible to believe that either his friends or his enemies moved the body. Guys, the historical evidence that the tomb was empty is pretty overwhelming. Three facts. Number one, the unanimous testimony of all of the witnesses is that the tomb was empty. And it is not evidence that comes decades later when their claims could not be challenged. These guys are out on the streets of Jerusalem preaching that the tomb was empty, that Jesus was raised from the dead six weeks after he was executed. And all his enemies had to do to shut these guys up was to produce the body, right? They could have stopped Christianity in its tracks by rolling away the stone and dragging out the body. And these Jesus followers are out on the streets of Jerusalem preaching the empty tomb six weeks later. It's not the kind of a story that was preached decades later when it couldn't be challenged or, or corroborated. Fact is, the tomb was empty. Fact two. The reports of this empty tomb have all of the marks of historical accuracy. Let me show you three things that kind of point to the the notion that it's historically accurate. Number one, all of the accounts tell us that the empty tomb was discovered by women. That doesn't mean much today, especially on a Mother's Day. In Jesus' time, women didn't count as witnesses. Back then, if you were going to make up a story like this, you would never have invented women to be the first ones to go to the tomb. That would have convinced nobody. Nobody would have invented a story like this. Number two, the accounts have no frills. They're so simple. No drama. And we see when they made up dramatic stories back then, and if this was a made-up story, you'd have had a whole lot more fun telling about how Jesus was raised from the dead, how he escaped from the tomb, what he looked like, and all that other stuff of legend. It's not there. It's just simple. And number three, and this one's kind of weird, all of the accounts differ in little details. And that may sound strange as a mark of credibility, but the fact is, if the accounts agreed in all of the little details, you'd suspect collusion. But the fact that the accounts agree on all of the big stuff and differ on all of the little things tell us that these are independent witnesses of the same events. And that's a big deal, historically. So, the unanimous testimony of all of the witnesses is that the tomb was empty, and it's credible. Number two, the accounts have all of the marks of historical accuracy. Fact number three, the enemies of the church never denied the empty tomb. They never did. They just tried to explain it away. 
Listen, guys, the Jewish leaders hated the church, and all they had to do to kill the church was to produce the body of Jesus, and they couldn't. All they could do was to make up a story a little later on that maybe the disciples had stolen the body. Peter and John are arrested six weeks later, dragged before that same court that had killed Jesus. That court ordered them to stop preaching this Jesus raised from the dead. And all that court had to do was roll away the stone and pull out the body, and they could have discredited the whole thing, and none of this would have happened, right? Guys, we have solid physical evidence. The tomb was empty. Three days later, the body was gone, and no one has come up with a better explanation than that God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, they've tried. The Jews said that the disciples stole the body. Really? Who would buy that? It's a stupid theory. If this were a scam, if the disciples stole the body so that they could keep on preaching this Jesus, and they knew it was a lie, don't you think they would have confessed their lie once they started dying for Jesus? And none of them did? I'll get back to that nonsense later. And there's some guys who have suggested... Well, maybe God didn't raise him from the dead. Maybe Jesus was never actually dead, completely dead. Maybe he was just mostly dead, right? Maybe he just fainted on the cross and looked dead, and they put this mostly dead body in the tomb, and the cool, damp air of the tomb revived him, and he wriggled his way out of the grave clothes, and then he rolled away this massive stone and overpowered the guards and, and escaped on feet that had had nails driven into them just days earlier. Anyone who understands crucifixion laughs at that nonsense. And the only al other alternative is that the Jews moved the body. But why? And if they had the body, why wouldn't they have produced it when the followers of Jesus became a thorn in their side? Fact is, the tomb was empty. And a real God can do something like that. That's the physical evidence. Now let's look at the eyewitness evidence. And here it is, guys. The risen Jesus was seen by a whole plethora of people. He was seen by individuals, by groups. They saw him, they touched him, they talked with him, they ate with him. He was seen repeatedly over several weeks. He was seen by skeptics, and then he was gone. And the people who saw him alive went to their deaths, never backing down. Let me give you a list of just some of the people who saw Jesus alive after the crucifixion. He appeared to Mary Magdalene, a second Mary, the mother of one of his disciples, and some other women who were with them. And remember, in Jesus' day, no one would have made up a story in which the first people to meet Jesus were women because they didn't count as witnesses back then. You know the reason that women have so much respect today can be traced back to Jesus that is so cool. We're going to talk about that next week. And then Jesus appeared to his 11 disciples. Remember, Judas had killed himself. He appeared to the others repeatedly. They touched him. They talked with him. They ate with him. We have at least six rec records of the appearances of Jesus to his disciples. And then Jesus appeared to a guy named Clopas and a friend of his. In fact, he walked miles with them just a few days after having nails driven through his feet, talking with them, eating with them. 
Jesus appeared individually to Peter and to James, the brother of Jesus, and then to Paul. And then he appeared to more than 500 people at one time. And when these early Jesus followers were out there preaching the resurrection of Jesus, most of these witnesses were still around to corroborate what they had seen. Guys, these are not the fleeting observances of some shadowy figure in the distance like a Bigfoot sighting, right? They touched Jesus. They talked with him. They ate with him indoors, outdoors, in Jerusalem, in Galilee for weeks, and then he's gone. They saw him go, and these physical appearances stopped. And when the Jesus followers stepped out onto the streets of corner, corners of Jerusalem, six weeks after they'd killed Jesus, preaching to the very same people who'd put Jesus on that cross, they didn't preach that Jesus had been a good man or that he'd been a great teacher. They preached that he was alive. And they were willing to go to their own crosses to back that up. How do you explain eyewitness testimony that powerful? I mean, people have tried. A lot of folks have argued that this is just a scam, right? They're going to tell you that dozens, maybe hundreds of people were involved in some kind of a plot to steal the body and then concoct some kind of a story about God rolling away the stone. That won't wash. If you're old, I can't see too many hands because the lights are in my eyes. But how many of you old guys remember something called Watergate? You can raise your hands, okay? You guys are old, all right? (laughs) One of the guys involved in Watergate was a guy named Charles Colson. He went to prison. Remember that? A couple of years later, he became a Christian. Here's what Colson said. This is pretty good. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact. Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they'd seen Jesus raised from the dead. They proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Every single one of them was beaten, tortured, stoned, put in prison. They would not have endured that if it were not true. He says, Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world. They couldn't keep the lie for three weeks. You're telling me that 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. (laughs) Gail Mitchell sent me that. It's pretty good. This was not a scam perpetrated by some masochistic disciples. Others have argued that maybe the stories just got better with time. Maybe, maybe it all started out with a story of some fleeting appearance of someone who looked like Jesus, and as time the stories just grew and, until hundreds had seen him and touched him and talked with him and ate with him. That won't wash. The accounts go back to the very earliest days of the church when the eyewitnesses were still around to corroborate. And others have argued that these sightings of Jesus were just hallucinations. Maybe they just wanted to see him alive. Maybe they had just eaten the wrong mushrooms or something like that. (laughs) But come on. Individually, groups, indoors, outdoors, people who were skeptical, people who had not been smoking the wrong stuff. They saw him, touched him, talked with him over six weeks, and then he's gone. Doesn't wash. People who study hallucinations tell us that the factors that would produce them are simply not here. So, we've got physical evidence. We've got an empty tomb. We have very persuasive, credible eyewitness evidence. No explanation that accounts for these facts better than God raising Jesus from the dead. 
and some very, very powerful circumstantial evidence. Ready? Consider these. Something, guys, changed these men immediately. They did a 180. These guys were incredibly broken, discouraged, depressed, in hiding. Their hopes for Jesus had died. Those who were crucified were cursed by God, they believed. Messiahs don't die, gods don't die. And in six weeks, these guys were abandoning their jobs, their securities, committing the rest of their life to preaching this Jesus without any earthly payoff. They went without food for him. They were ridiculed, beaten, imprisoned, and executed in the most brutal ways for no other reason that they had seen Jesus risen from the dead. No ulterior motives. They had a whole lot to lose from a human point of view, and they did. But they'd seen Jesus. And that changes everything immediately. Guys, that is incredibly powerful circumstantial evidence. It's not just the disciples who are changed. Skeptics turned around and followed Jesus just like that. I mean, it's one thing for those who love Jesus to be convinced. It's another thing for those who don't love him to change just like that. Consider two of these guys. James, Jesus' brother, half-brother, same mom, different dad. What would it take to convince you that your brother was God? <laughs> well, James and the rest of his family were confused by Jesus. They were embarrassed by Jesus. They suspected he'd gone mad. So they confronted him, tried to take him home. But something happened so powerful that James did a 180. After the authorities had killed Jesus, James, his brother, saw him alive. Well, that might change your mind. James became a fierce Jesus follower. In fact, he became a leader in the Jerusalem church. In fact, he wrote a letter that became part of our New Testament. And 30 years later, he was stoned to death because he believed his brother was actually God in a bod. Sudden radical transformation. What could cause that? Or the Apostle Paul. He didn't start out as a Jesus follower. He hated the church, persecutor of the church, hated Jesus till he saw him alive and then did a 180. No kidding. And after seeing Jesus, he traveled thousands of miles, suffering from hunger, the elements, countless other dangers. He was jailed repeatedly, whipped repeatedly, stoned repeatedly, and he finally had his head cut off for preaching this Jesus that he once hated. But something happens to a man who comes face to face with Jesus, guys. Have you ever experienced that? It's powerful evidence. You have physical evidence in indisputably empty tomb. You have eyewitness evidence, a plethora of credible eyewitnesses. You have circumstantial evidence, the sudden transformation from broken, disillusioned, hopeless disciples into the fearless, tireless missionaries who took the gospel of Jesus into a hostile world where it spread like an airborne virus. You're the jury. Was Jesus an incredibly dangerous liar toying with your soul? Was he an absolute lunatic, a pitiable madman who actually thought he was God but wasn't? Or is he God? 
You see, the claims that Jesus made are so arrogant, the demands he made are so outrageous, and the promises he made are so wild that you cannot treat him with apathy or condescension. You cannot simply ignore him or like him. You can dismiss him as a lunatic, turn your back on him as a liar, or abandon yourself to him as your Lord. There are no other reasonable options. So, it's time to make a call, isn't it? If Jesus rose from the dead, there is a God. Case closed. If Jesus rose from the dead, if he predicted his own death and pulled off a resurrection, a resurrection that he predicted, he is who he claimed to be. He's God in a bot. Case closed. And if Jesus rose from the dead, he can keep his promises. What he demands from us makes perfect sense, the surrender of our lives, because that's where real life begins, right? Now and for forever. It's the linchpin, guys. Resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul said if he's raised from the dead, better bend your knees. If he didn't raise from the dead, we're fools for being here. Have you made him your Lord? That's the question, right? Guys, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. If you haven't made him your Lord yet, in this next little bit, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. I'm going to sit right down here. And if you want Jesus to be your Lord of your life and you haven't done that yet, come down and let's talk. Let's get it done. Or you can go to the back. There's a prayer room back there. One of our elders is praying for you guys right now. Go back and chat with him and let's get this life with God started. Or it may be that uh, you are a Jesus follower and you need a church home and for some reason you decide you want this to be your home. You're welcome here, guys. If you want Capital City to be your home, come on down. Let's talk about it. Let's get that started too. We're going to go into a time of the Lord's Supper. Here it is, guys. We're going to eat a piece of bread that represents the body of Jesus that was broken on a cross. We're going to drink a little cup of juice that represents his blood that was shed on a cross. We're going to talk about the death of Jesus in this meal. Isn't that weird? Because, guys, if he stayed in the tomb, this meal is a waste of time. On the other hand, if Jesus rose from the dead, then this meal celebrates our life in him. This tells us that that body and that blood that was shed is God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's acceptance of us anyway. It's an amazing meal. If you rose from the dead... This means everything. So we do it every week. And it's a reminder that someday as Jesus followers, we're going to sit at table with Jesus. It's an anticipation of that meal. So if you're a Jesus follower, come on down to the tables in just a moment. You're also going to find a, a black box. That's our offering box. Those of us who call Jesus the Lord of our lives, that's where we give him our first part. That's where we support the things that we need to get done as a church. There's also a white generous bucket. If you got an extra dollar, drop it in there if you want. Every dollar that goes in there, we just use to love on people. Take care of people who are hurting. Why don't you pray with me, please? Father, we're so grateful that we have this opportunity to share this meal with you in honor of you and to remember what it means to us. We're so thankful that Jesus rose from the dead because... That's the source of our hope, our life. 
We love you dearly. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Welcome. Come on down. Hey guys, this is so cool. Joe and Kim, great house. And a couple of kids, come on down here guys. It's cool. They would like to be part of this church family. Isn't that cool? I halfway questioned that but I'm grateful, okay? But I'd like you to make this confession of faith because it's pretty easy to be part of a, this church family. If Jesus is your Lord and your Savior and you want us as your family, you're welcome here. Okay? And so we make this confession of faith, and this is what binds us together for now and for forever. All right? I believe. I believe. Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God, my Lord and my Savior. Welcome to our family. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you,
you say, I said that, I said that a few times. I'm like, I, I, I've said it over and over again, right? I don't think that we say enough. I don't say, I don't say it enough to God. You're the only one that can actually help me in this life. I want you to believe that. I want you to be able to say, it's okay that I say those words again a couple times. Because they're true. They are so true. He's the only one who can. I hope that you can believe those words as we shout them out together. The only one who gives us morning to dance it out. You turn morning to dancing. Shout it in now. You can beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You're the only one who can. You turn crazy into God. You turn bones into army. You turn seas into highways. You're the only one who You're the only one that has been able to turn my grave into a garden. The only one that took me from a place where I was just lost and it was dark, was alone and in need. And you sent me Jesus Christ. I don't deserve your kind of grace. And yet you give it to me every day because I'm constantly trying to go back to the grave. I'm trying to go back to that and, and just wallow in where I've been and you keep bringing me back because of your immense love. Father, I want to pray for those that are in this room right now who are still feeling they're in the grave. There is no garden that's there. And I ask God that you will reach into their hearts in a way that they've never experienced before and they'll give them a peace that they've never experienced. And they can be changed, not just maybe down the road some point, but today in this moment, they feel something that they've never experienced. They feel your spirit moving within them. They, they feel that you've done something to their heart. And Father, they cannot live the way that they did when they came into this place today. They're new. They're completely different because you have changed them. Father, we can't let that just sit inside of us anymore. We have to do something with this. And so as you have changed each of us, and you've reminded us again of where we were and where we can be and where we should be and where we will be, we say You're, all of this is yours. We see the example of Jesus, and we want to follow him now. We believe in what he has done. We pray each of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the one and the only one that has given us life. Amen. You guys, I'm so glad that you chose to be here today, and a happy Mother's Day to you one more time, or six more times, or seven, however many times that you hear it on the way out, right? You're going to hear Mother's Day a couple more times, but I'm going to tell you this. You know what? You can make an impact. It's not just a matter of hearing this message and going, that was great. Now, where are we going to go to eat? Now, I want you to do something, okay? We talk about these nudges all the time. Please don't gloss over this. If you call yourself 
a follower of Christ and you know that that example of sacrifice and service is something that you want to take part in, we're going to give you a way to do that, all right? So pick up a card right beside you and say, I don't know who I'm going to do this, but the Spirit is going to lead me to somebody who needs this. And you're like, please stop looking at me. Please don't look at me. I'm going to, I'm going to try to like get as many people as I possibly can. <laughs> Pick up the card. Give it to somebody. You may change their life. And I know that sounds really lofty and huge, but you may change their life by saying, I'm doing this because God wants me to. I don't know why. It's weird. And they're like, yeah, you're weird. But there's something that's changed. So I'm going to tell you, you can make an impact. And it, maybe it's not today because you're busy, but it could be tomorrow through the rest of this month. But take that card. Do something with it, okay? And there's also some other people that could be really helped if you take one of the baby bottles and you fill it with as much cash as you possibly can in the next few weeks and bring it back on Father's Day. Guys, I want you to know that God is so pleased that you're here. Not because, you know, this is the place to be, but because you've chosen to worship in this place and you've chosen to hear his word and you can be changed by that. And we want you to be changed by that. Go out and make a difference in this world. Hope to see you next week.